The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! And tame, and tame again. Break up the music! Charge a glass! This nation is going to dance all night! The secret psychological ploys of the Premier League stadium announcers, things we applaud during games without really knowing why, footballers who don't look like footballers, the true cultural significance of the match of the day running order, pre-match interviews, what is the thinking there, and a desperate search for the solution to commentators having to apologise for mid-game swearing. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 141 of Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry. Alongside me for this one is Nick Miller once again. How are you doing? I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, very good. Um, Of course, um, just to pick up on what we were talking about the other day, Jesse Marsh, now confirmed as the new Leeds United manager. American citizen. Yes, American citizen Jesse Marsh. Uh, He gave his first interview to Sky Sports and um, they asked him about Leeds running in the relegation battle. They, they put it to him that he's got 12 cup finals to come. And uh, his response, I have to say, was not a good start for US-UK <laughs> football relations. Embrace our cliches, please, Jesse Marsh. It is all about staying in the Premier League now. So is it 12 cup finals? Is that how you see it? No, I don't quite see it that way. I see it as 12 games is, is enough time. You know, we don't, we have to stay calm. There's no panic. And I know there's been stress because of the way that the last few games have gone, but I think for us it's really important that we focus on every moment, every day, every game, and we remove the stress and we focus on the things that we can control. Nick, coming over here, ignoring <laughs> our cliches, giving sensible and logical answers, rational, level-headed responses. I'm, I'm transported to what I assume is quite a sort of featureless hotel bar in Doha. Keezy just hands his phone to Gray doesn't say anything just kind of raises his eyebrows and tuts as they watch the clip frighteningly naive <laughs> anyway uh, just yeah really wanted to share that one with everybody but today it's Mesut Harland Dix and this week we have match of the day commentator Robin Cowan joining us Robin welcome thank you it is an absolute honour Adam thank you <laughs> I actually believe that. Uh, no, it I is. It is. I have a love-hate relationship with this podcast, I must say. It, need to, it needs to be played in my car or on my phone at a specific time, not before a game, mainly. That's the oh. main thing. Why? Which, 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 what, is it living rent-free in your head? Yeah, exactly. Territory. Yeah, something, oh, no. something will, uh, will pop out that you've said, and I'll go, oh, no! <laughs> and, it'll be in, and then it'll be in your podcast the next time. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a post-match treat for me. I'm not going to act horrified. I'm quite pleased in, in a way that we're having this level of impact at the highest level of football commentary. But, I mean, few, if any, managed to complete the Guardian Football Weekly Totally Football Show Football Clichés treble. If ever there was going to be a pub quiz about football podcasts, don't rule it out. <laughs> I sense you would be one of the answers. So that also would be an absolute honour, obviously. The, hi- the highest Good. accolade I could... I could uh pick up in my career (laughs) (laughs) honours left right and centre I've always kind of wanted to ask this of someone who commentates on match of the day because I mean I imagine the commentary career path there's so many milestones that you that you reach and you remember them and you think okay that was my first x y and z I imagine it must be a great thrill the first time you're on match of the day to have a Lineker say your commentator at the bet 365 stadium Robin Cowan it really is. In, the, in that exact way? Yes. Yeah, no, exactly. I was going to be very sad and kind of record it on my phone. <laughs> have that, or we have some no my way. ringtone. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah. You have you have hacked into my Google document and taken the next line. <laughs> um, that's exactly what you should do. But 
just a, a wonderful moment in your career. I just feel like that just in that that first you know that few seconds must be must be just fill your heart with glee. No, it really does. It, yeah, it puts the uh, the older hairs on the back of the neck. And and actually, you know, my, my dad, you know, I've let him down many times, you know, during my during my life. But uh, yeah, he, he has said that uh, you know you've been on match of the day. You don't it doesn't really get any better than that. You could pretty much. You know, disappoint me however you want now. You know? <laughs> oh, wow. That's it. Job done. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, well, that's it. Yeah, fair enough. Now, of course, you, um, you, you, you've you done a stint on, on Final Score as well. So you're, you're well versed in the, um, in the art of trying to sum up a game in various circumstances. But uh, here's one I've got to share with you from this week. This is Sky Sports' Dickie Davis taking on the tricky task of Pancake Day. For his update in the latter stages of Wickham's 3-0 win over Cambridge. Let's see how well he manages this one. Absolutely, it's pancake day, Jules. Let's see how many puns we can get into this one. Great chance a moment ago for, for Cambridge before they just conceded. Ball went into the area. Joe Arnside on a sub, a really good side for Cambridge. He's flicked it towards goal. They managed to flip it away from danger off the goal line. They've broken to the other end. Gareth McCleary's done really, really well. He's put it straight into the mix, if you like. And it's Mehmeti runs away. Puts it home. It's a really nice finish. It's a really good goal as well. Well deserved. 3-0. Two pancake puns, Robin. That's it. Rubbish. That, that's not good enough, is it? Especially as he, he queued himself up, didn't he? Let us know that this, this is going to be pun heavy and uh, yeah. anything but. I mean, I don't know where Pancake Day sits in the pantheon of, of punnable occasions for roving reporters. It's, it's not in the top three, is it? But it's still an eminently gettable situation well, yeah i mean sure particularly as robin says if you queue yourself up for it and i'm also i mean flip of the two puns flip yeah fine no problem there but then when he says put it in the the mix if you like like one of the one of the puns was hugely apologetic and doesn't didn't really work can you have a an early pancake day present has anyone said that <laughs> <laughs> that really would have been the pit i mean then there are well i mean the first one that comes to mind is, you know, a performance that was as flat as, as a pancake on, on uh, what is what is the actual official Shrove name? Shrove Tuesday. Shrove Tuesday. Thank you very much. Thank you to Bible expert Nick Miller. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I did. Yeah, I was just disappointed. But the, the late great Gerald Sinstat has never been more missed because I think he would have nailed it. Pancake Day. Um, so work to do for Dickie Davis next year. But here we are. For Mesut Harland Dicks with Robin Cowan. A, a fascinating cross section of your footballing consciousness uh, that you're about to reveal to the nation. Nation? Yeah, let's say nation. Um, <laughs> tell, us about, tell us, please, about your first love of football. Okay, so the first one, it came to me um, after you you asked me to, um, to come on this. And it was a couple of weeks ago. It, it's basically stadium announcers pronouncing players' names wrong or just being a little bit too over familiar. It's obviously the opposition. The f- their their own ones they do perfectly, and there's plenty of opportunity for them to kind of check: is this how you say your opposition player's name? Clearly, maybe they even do that and then just ignore it or say, okay, I'm going to you know do it this way. So yeah, I was doing it was at Villa against Watford, and the the Villa stadium announcer called William Trustecong Will Trustecong. <laughs> and I've never heard him called that ever. I just think it's it's just very familiar, and it's yeah. As I said, it's just, it reminds me of it like a a dad or an ex boyfriend when you introduce them to like your new partner. You say, "Oh, what was that? Oh, Don? No, 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 it's John." It's John. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, this is a very that was a very very curious example you've given here because first of all, it's it's the other team's announcer, so, it, so you would kind of expect it if it was like. The Watford guy saying getting quite chummy with Trusty Kong, but I just don't understand where the Villa guy decided that Will was okay. <laughs> that's something. That's a threshold you have to meet, surely. And I just, I that's a gamble in my eyes, Nick. Yeah, it's like he went to school with him or something, you know. <laughs> oh, uh, Bill. Yeah, no, Will. Oh, well, you know, he, he, actually, he like he likes he prefers Will. Actually, I know everyone's been calling him William, but you know, if you if you actually know him, you know, like, hmm. yeah, I I I've always assumed that, um, as Robin mentioned there, that it's a bit of a not not quite a power move but it's a bit of a a bit of a sort of fuck you to the opposition Maybe. i'm not gonna uh, you know it, I, I have as a stadium announcer i have a very limited uh, influence on events but what i can do is subtly undermine them by getting their names wrong 
I think that's vastly overestimating how much players listen to their own names being read out of the stadium. But then having said that, it's never happened to me. And I think if it did, I would be stunned. So, Robin, I mean, we've covered the potential mind games of over-familiarised versions of players' names. But um, I want to p- pick up on your other one, which was the, the mispronunciation of, of certain names. Now, for, for a commentator, this is a massive crime or, or, or a huge source of debate about how earnest and how realistic you should go with, say, say, certain foreign pronunciations. That's a different kettle of fish. But for stadium announcers, I feel, I feel like this is not quite as big a crime because there's, there's an innocence to getting the names of the opposition players wrong I think, oh, uh, especially when they're coming on as a sub and it's a bit more of a panic situation oh, I don't know just say anything yeah no exactly I, I, but I do I agree with Nick I think it is the mind game starting early you know it's all you know it's like the old Jose Mourinho coaching the ball boy you know it comes from the top I really do it's, it's a club thing and I, I'm not sure I don't know I'm not sure it's for the players but I think it really pisses the fans off the, the travelling fans you know it's already starting to, to get them annoyed, the, the sort of mispronunciation. I do believe there's sort of, especially in the Premier League, a sort of universal, that sounds right, you know, when you watch a lot of <laughs> yes. football. And then they're almost they're just deviating from that just slightly. And it really is so noticeable. Another thought that came to me was every now and then a stadium announcer must be the bane of a commentator's existence or, or maybe like a reporter's existence because um, the frequency with which they seem to boom over the top of a, of a report seems to, seems to astonish me. I, is that quite annoying? Is it like, is it genuine? Can you, can you just stop? <laughs> yeah, it is sometimes. But I've got to say, it's especially, hmm. it's mainly in a... When they used to do a lot of non-league football, that was when it was ridiculous. You know, they just don't, they don't have the levels right. <laughs> You're kind of fighting with them to, to, try and, uh, to try and get your voice heard. I mean, I, I love that as well. This is the first time, Nick, in my entire life I've ever started to wonder about the ratio of volume of tannoy to size of crowd and whether there really should be an official equation that should be adhered to. Because at non-league, I reckon it's way out of whack, surely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, surely, and and you you gotta you gotta think that the the quality of the PA isn't going to be particularly good either. So it you, you'll get crackling, you'll get feedback. It'll just it's just a complete mess. Yeah, I mean, it goes from a spectrum from all the way down from school sports day, <laughs> where the echo is you know like like partridge at the fair. Yeah, all, all the way up to you know like the the booming FA Cup final situation but anywhere in between is um there's there's work to be done so someone somewhere that should be at the top of their to-do list in days gone by for like first game of the season you you would have comments on the pitch and the, how beautiful the pitch looked and the tannoy always seemed a little bit louder on the first day so someone would say oh so someone's upgraded the tannoy and uh, got them a volume switch over the <laughs> uh, over the summer something like that what a thing to note i know I, I, you know but you take whatever you can get on the opening day can't you yeah. in terms of uh, beacons of hope <laughs> they've upgraded the tannoy <laughs> yeah well i mean particularly particularly at forest in the last uh, 20 years when i go you know also the the guy at forest i always quite liked because he his version of I'm not sure about mispronouncing names, but his version of that was it was always to read out the opposition team sort of sort of mumble it and do it really quickly. Like um, it always reminded me of that you know on like on radio adverts or podcast adverts where they, someone does the T's and C's at the end really quickly. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, just kind of gets it out of the way as quickly as possible, and then it goes and then Nottingham Forest. But let's face it, substitutes are annoying. No one needs to know those. That, that must be the annoying part of the job. So, yeah, um, some sympathies with stadium announcers, but not full. Not full sympathy. Robin, let's hear about your second love of football, because I'm, I'm fascinated by this one. I'm really looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, it was just something that occurred to me, that um, it was when I was at an Oxford United game with my husband, and he, he pointed out to me that whenever there's a long diagonal ball, and it can be the worst long diagonal, if it reaches the other player in some way, even if it's like two yards behind him, there will be a clap from the fans <laughs> in appreciation because they've completed a long pass. Yeah. And yeah, I just, and he said that to me and I, and I thought, well, that's weird. And then it happened every <laughs> single time. Yeah. So it's fans clapping at, at weird times. Okay. And it, yeah, it, it's just the, the way it happens. It can be the worst pass ever. Um, and the other, the other thing was, I, I do find it, 
I don't really know what an alternative would be, but when a, a player's injured and the whole stadium claps him off, I guess that's a kind of classy touch. And as commentators always say, oh, you know, all four corners of the stand clapping and all oh, that that's really you know that's good but then like two minutes before he was a total wanker to the opposition fans <laughs> and now now because he's you know possibly broken his leg that you know oh good on him good on him good luck to him well i mean classy touch culture ultimately overrules absolutely everything mm, we, know, we know that now yeah. that, that's it's now the kind of master code for football but let, let's let's dig into the very specific example you gave first nick i it made me realize that it's got to the point now where I watch some games on TV simply to establish the precise threshold at which any pass that goes cross field becomes applause worthy. Because once you start doing this, trust me, you won't be able to stop. Because it, it's so specific, the point at which it becomes, yeah, okay, I, I admire that one. And it's, it's hard to know. It's hard to kind of off the top of your head work it out. I mean, there's a, there's an equation I could put to you, which is kind of length plus usefulness of the pass equals applause. But maybe it's more subtle than that. Maybe there's more elements at play. It's maybe it's there's, there's something to do with because more often than not, those passes will be like fullback to opposite winger. It's not not so much anymore, but traditionally you wouldn't wouldn't expect a, perhaps a fullback to ping a precise pass to the other side of the pitch. So maybe they're just impressed that the the fullback can kick the ball that far. I don't know. Maybe it's on that that kind of much of a basic level. Okay, so when you've got the kind of a raking crossfield pass, Robin, there's there's a there's a level of appreciation on a technical level, which which I would guess would explain the applause. But there's there's subcategories to this, I'm convinced. There's the kind of bit of a kerfuffle in midfield and a team managed by one or two passes managed to extricate themselves from this kind of jungle in the midfield and it and it gets out to the kind of safe space of the wing. Usually to a fullback because you know there's not necessarily an attack starting, but the ball's out to a safe place, and that seems to me that the applause is more. I'd say about at least forty percent relief that the ball is now safe. It's okay. We're not in trouble anymore. So there's there's it's a kind of contangible kind of relief to the applause. I think yes, absolutely. Um, and I do think, as you mentioned, with the um, the volume of tannoys and leagues Oxford United are obviously in league one so I think there yep. there is a sort of um you know if it was Trent Alexander-Arnold you kind of expect it he still gets the applause obviously yeah, but yeah. uh and it's usually you know pinpoint right in front of the the opposite player whereas sort of yeah it's almost like oh yeah oh you can brilliant yeah you can actually nearly <laughs> basically find the intended target even if it was a, a few yards away from him but yeah I I do like the um the sort of spreading yeah in you were in that difficult situation and then you find a bit of space and yes, relief, but also again, oh, great! You've you've worked your way out of a telephone box there a little bit. You know? <laughs> exactly, but it's a lovely sound. I mean, Nick, it kind of washes over you, doesn't it? It's kind of this kind of. I mean, it's it's not an urgent sound. It's not an expectation of anything about to happen. It's it's just a nice, lovely reaction to something that has just happened, and it kind of just washes over everyone. Just like, ah. Yeah, well, like well, this is often accompanied by a bit of a kind of oh yeah, well, well you know, a bit of a a, um, a vocalization as well, at which kind of gathers noise as the ball is is kind of travelling, and you think, oh no, this is actually going to get to the guy. But even that, but even if the the other fullback then sort of nips in and intercepts it, I think that there's a slightly smaller applause just for the you know for the intent. I think you've tried you've tried to spread play or there's an, a, a kind of an element of Sunday League to it as well because switch it is a big um, oh, yeah, yeah. big shout in Sunday League so once you've once you've switched it or you've even you've attempted to switch it then you get a little round of applause yeah absolutely yeah like fans who fans who have spotted a player out there in oceans yeah. of space as, as if modern tactics hadn't accounted for that it's, <laughs> yeah. quite, I mean I, I include myself in this absolutely a distant cousin of well close cousin I would say Robin of the of the kind of wash of sort of satisfied applause for a crossfield pass is a similar one. Um, in an early stages of a game, the flood of applause from a promising attack that ends with a shot that just go just goes wide, just over, as if it's like, you know, an early shot across the bowels. That's a pleasant applause. That's a really kind of innocent, fresh applause at the start of a game. No cynicism there. No, the, 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 you're not sort of very ragged at that stage, are you? And, mm. and, and the frenetic and, and or, you know, searching for an equaliser. It's all very, oh, now this is a good start, good start. Yep. All right. Yeah, yep. very good. Let's keep this going. You know, and it, yeah, no, it, it's very, very palpable. I think there was another one you, you covered with Jamie Carragher, I think, when, yeah. you know, when the annoyingly the striker closes down the and it goes out of, for a goal kick and the crowd applauds. And it's like, well, why, why are you doing that? <laughs> well, yeah, 
that's at that stage your hands are just working independently of your brain your brain's going that's annoying but your your hands must clap you must appreciate the effort that's gone into that uh, but yeah I, I i'm sure nick that it's kind of much of this applause is just kind of like a physical manifestation of your frayed state of mind. It's like, yes, if I clap, I'm somehow influencing events. I don't know. I, I feel like it's congratulation is the lowest rung of what's happening here. I'm convinced of this. Well, yeah, I, I think that, that also is an explanation for my favourite kind of reason, relative cousin of this, which is the round of applause when a defender propels the ball back to the goalkeeper, not via the foot. Oh, and yeah. that still gets a round of applause the th- 30 years on from the introduction of the no pass back rule that i would wager a lot of the fans in the stadium will have not been watching football when the pass back rule you know b- 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 before Good the pass back rule in place yeah. so yeah. they don't know they this this theoretically is a uh, just a, a normal part of the game to them but mm. a, a header a chest a chest is really oh, kind of yeah, that's it sensational so cool and a, and a, cool as you like yeah a, <laughs> in a, a thigh in the early days uh, of yeah. the of the rule a thigh would be like is that is that allowed is that is that in the rule is, <laughs> yeah, it, just, yeah. is it just it's the just thought is, is it is that a, no it's fine it's fine round of applause round of applause I think it's a combination of, of relief because obviously in that scenario your, your defence might be in a slightly tricky position but you've got the ball back to the safe arms of the goalkeeper or it's like a kind of someone's found a, a little loophole in the rules or something like that and everyone's <laughs> just going to apl- uh, applauding the, the slyness oh clever clever boy well done <laughs> yeah it's been a while since if at all we've seen a player sort of get down on their knees and nod it back yeah. which I think someone tried to do in the early stages of that season and the FIFA or whoever it was kind of scrambled to disallow it and say do you know what that's, that's <laughs> you're not the, allowed to do that so yeah, yeah anyone who's applauding that against the spirit of the rules don't so, take the piss Rob, you know. yeah exactly so Robin we asked our listeners the kind of curious things that they applaud during games against their um, against their will almost <laughs> um, let's start with this one Richard Bowen says applauding the opposition keeper when they come down to your end I mean, it, it does feel like a kind of real tradition for English football that you feel like you have to do that, almost regardless of who that goalkeeper is. I mean, there must be some exceptions. But Nick, the, the impulse perhaps for this applauding the opposition goalkeeper as they, as they walk towards your goal, maybe it's just it's simply a professional footballer is walking towards me. I, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> stunned. But David Kirkham has broken this down even further. He says, applauding the goalkeeper for completing the double of flinging his bottle in the back of the net and balancing his towel on the goal mesh. Sorry, I'm, just, I'm thrown by the word mesh here. Let's, let's not worry about about that but but yeah I mean it's um it's a tricky task clearly worthy of applause I know what he's uh, he means that kind of feeding the towel in between the the thing and the net does that still happen do, do, do goalkeepers still do that I haven't really noticed like re- an assistant referee would walk over and go, please don't please yeah. don't do that <laughs> yeah, yeah. You I feel like you do see it less and less in in my in my youth the goalkeepers would always have like a little a little what looked like a, like a little wash bag yeah, I don't know what was in there, but a spare set of gloves, maybe. Yeah, and that that would go in the corner, but you don't see that anymore no. as well. No, yeah. no. Sad times, sad times. <laughs> Simon nineteen twenty seven writes Robin and says substitutes warming up pitch side whilst the game is go- still going. I don't know what they've done to deserve an applause, but every time I do it without fail. Again, I think it's just a football in my proximity situation. Oh, I must applaud it. Yeah. If I don't, it's rude. It's that impulse, isn't it? Because they're not yeah. doing much, are they? Usually, they're kind of you know maybe some half-hearted stretching, uh, usually having a chat with other substitutes who are warming up. And uh, yeah. yes, no, no, that's a very good point. Yeah, really. It's just applause for existing, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> undeserved, wearing a bib. Absolutely undeserved. <laughs> Bigger ones are usually reserved for either new signing or player, oh, yeah. a notable player coming back from injury. Mm. That's that that not only gets the round of applause, but the camera will cut to them as well. There's Mo Salah, of course. He's been out for four weeks without hamstring in, injury, and the Anfield crowd are delighted to hear, see him back. You know that kind of thing. Adam Gray writes in Nick and says uh, he also applauds substitutes when they warm up on the touchline. He says, "My mate and I always follow up with a sarcastic, nice warming up, lads." That feels <laughs> that feels rude to me. <laughs> I mean, feels... if they hear that, that's not nice. Don't do that. It feels it like having with the ring. Yeah, it feels like having your cake and eat it. That you can't you, you, one or the other. You, you you can't applaud and then sarcastically saying, "Oh, nice stretching," or whatever. Just one or the other. Um, it it made me realise also, Robin, that there there are certain situations in football, very rare situations, where both sets of fans will probably applaud equally. And I think maybe the sweet spot for this is, as Elliot Wilson writes, the block that goes out for a corner. Everyone is happy. Attacking team claps for the corner. Defending team, inexplicably, as we've already established, claps for stopping the cross. So, yeah, I guess a wonderful moment. I mean, it's probably only secondary to kind of minutes applauses, really, isn't it? Of just unified 
satisfaction. And also there's a, there's a sort of roar again afterwards, especially yeah. if it's late in the game. Both of them, big clap and then a big roar and they're you yeah. know, wanting to defend or wanting to, as you say, usually not score from the corner. Yeah. Final one on this, Nick. Angus Byrne says the players walking out of the tunnel quite an unremarkable formality that's i thought this is harsh they are presenting themselves to you for the afternoon slash evening for your entertainment they are gladiators coming out to battle they deserve to be applauded this is not weird at all yeah because uh, what's burn. the alternative uh, deathly silence as the team walk out to the pitch all right yeah oh, so you, you guys are uh, oh, all right fine you're gonna play some football are you fucking go on with it <laughs> Yeah, not allowing that one, Angus Burns. Right, <laughs> let's hear about your third love of football, please. Um, this one's always fascinated me. Footballers who don't look like footballers. Yes. They're my favourites. <laughs> my real favourites. Say, uh, oh, Sorry if it's a bit Oxford United heavy, but we have a guy at, at Oxford who's called Herbie Kane. He's uh, he's on loan from Barnsley and he's probably our best player, like stroking yeah. the ball around from midfield. But he's slightly balding, he's a bit stocky, and if you saw him out and about, you just you wouldn't think you play football for a living. And I just <laughs> love it. Because you just think, okay, he's got magic in his boots. But um Do you think that works in his favour, the fact that he doesn't look like a footballer? I mean I mean does that kind of add to his appeal as a kind of cult figure? Oh, quite possibly, yeah. No, I think it does. It really and it really helps when you're playing on a Sunday, doesn't it? You think, oh that he doesn't look like she doesn't look like much. He doesn't look like much, and then um, mm. the ridiculous touch and uh, just destroying everyone. It's it's great. No, I think it probably does actually. Opposition players will mm. think, well, you know, this guy can't probably can't do much. And to be fair, he he's not the most athletic. <laughs> you probably okay. you probably hear, but his passing's ridiculous. And yeah, no, I I just love it. You just you just feel like footballers have this kind of look, this sheen almost, don't they? Yeah. yeah. Um, and they, you know, obviously they don't all look the same, but you just kind of they have this aura, and it's really nice when you see them playing at a high level when they you just think you don't look like you should be. <laughs> <laughs> now it's true this is a very distinct category of footballer but before we get into this I have to go down a tangent here because you mentioned Herbie Kane so my my instinct as all professional journalists do straight to Wikipedia and Herbie Kane appears to have done enough in his relatively short career to earn himself a playing style subsection of his Wikipedia page not all footballers earn this but apparently Herbie Kane has this is what it says Kane has been described by Liverpool as a lively player in the middle of the park that's it (laughs) (laughs) that's his playing style that's it that sounds like what when happened? someone says he's got a good personality. <laughs> Lively. Did you write that? Did you write that substance? Definitely not. No. Lively. To, I don't even, not even sure it. what that means. <laughs> it's not enough for a playing style, is it, Nick? But also, it, it, it sounds completely at odds with how you've described his playing style, Robin, because <laughs> Lively, to me, sounds like a sort of cipher for dirty. You know, he, 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 <laughs> oh, right. he kind of kicks people up in the air. But All no, it so, sounds like he's a sort of... League One Perlo. Cultured, but, uh, yeah, cultured. Yeah, exactly, mm. yeah. But I've always been fascinated by by players that seem to earn this status. I mean, I realise Wikipedia is a very democratic platform. Anyone can earn a playing style subsection, but some players just seem to have them more unexpectedly than others. Harry Griffin writes in and says, Paul McShane, Robin, now of Manchester United, of course. This is his playing style subsection. Eamon Dunphy once compared McShane to Spanish international defender Sergio Ramos, labelling Sergio Ramos like Paul McShane on steroids. <laughs> that, again, that is it. It's it's frivolous. Doesn't deserve it. I mean, I mean, I'm not saying he's not a good player or hasn't been a good player, but come on, come on. It's not. This is not a place for comedy. I want. I want <laughs> granular analysis of their style of play. Absolutely. I'm not sure you can have a playing style on steroids. I mean, that that's, no. that's yeah. You could be pulled up for doping. Wada would have a field day. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, that was a tangent and uh, I've exhausted it. And I want to get back to what we we're actually talking about, which is footballers that don't look like footballers. Um, I was tempted, Nick, to attempt a little 11 halfway through this episode. But the, the more I thought about it, the meaner it got. I mean, I realise that's not really the spirit of what we're talking about because it is it's, it's, it's kind of a compliment in a way, but it, it just got too mean for me. But not mean enough that I didn't want to share some of our listener contributions. Gareth Brennan, Nick, says, Stuart Armstrong looks like he'd be front of house at your wedding reception. <laughs> why? Why? <laughs> didn't explain it, but I kind of understand why. Is he, does he look too nice? I think so. I would say, sticking with the wedding theme, he's the like the best man that you haven't actually met for your cousin's wedding or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah. He looks. He, 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 I think he he looked pretty good in the suit with a little kind of pink um, pocket square. But mm. yeah, not yeah. I'll, I'll take the front of the desk. 
Uh, I've been, I'm surprised by some of these suggestions, actually, Robin, because my my go-to for this sort of thing was always kind of lumbering, massive players with a weird posture who just look don't look like athletes, which I think we might get onto shortly. But Tom Goodwin continues down this other avenue. He says, I refuse to believe that Harry Winks is a footballer. He was born to be a letting agent and the world will not find balance until he answers his true calling. <laughs> Again, is, what, is he too clean cut? That can't be the right way to do it. That is... That is very, very canny, I must say, because also when he talks, he really does, because he's kind of quite quite cockney, isn't he? He really does sound yeah. like, you know, oh, no, it's cosy. It's not small, it's cosy. <laughs> yeah, he does He does look like he'd be very at home in one of those Foxton's minis that, that they go zip around in. Yeah, or Apprentice contestant, maybe. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, Nick James Dell says, one of the best footballers of the last 40 years, Andres Iniesta, looks like he runs a library. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe we're slightly onto something. I- Iniesta might be the kind of most deluxe level example of this phenomenon in, 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 in its general sense because an extraordinary footballer and, you know, Ballon d'Or contender and yet probably doesn't look like you'd expect them to. Is, is that a weird thing to say? I don't know. No, I don't, th- well, I don't think it is a weird thing to say, but I, I, I think I can w- one-up even Andres Iniesta. Lionel Messi doesn't look like a footballer. Yeah. I mean, it's. I'm trying to avoid uh, for um, uh, incurring the wrath of James Richardson by just going to the short thing. But he just. Uh, I don't know. I don't really know what he looks like. But if you just kind of put Lionel Messi in front of you, you wouldn't say, "Well, there's the greatest athlete of all time." Yeah, know, no, that's true. Yeah, absolutely right. It turns out, Robin. That I mean, again, there are so many more layers to this than I expected. Wesley Boxall says that Dusan Vlahovic looks way too professional-looking to be a footballer. Something with the facial structure just screams banker. Implying that Dusan Vlahovic is too good-looking to be a footballer? This can't work either. I'm not happy with any of these. Yeah, no, I'm not sure about that. There's, There's been quite a few comparisons with, with him, hasn't there? Because, well... He looks like um, I think he looks like the, the, one of the students from American Pie. Is it Chris Klein? Yeah, think, yeah. Uh, there's a few of them. There's a couple I, I've I've thought of. Bruno Fernandez. I believe he's like a sort of a, a lecturer you know, at a university. Some of right. you know very much looked up to, quite angsty, and I, yeah. I could imagine him reading on a sunny day under a tree. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's too, too sort of too spindly, too mm. too nerdy, but also doesn't act that way. He's very he's very you know very in your face and quite annoying. But um, Bunder twenty twenty BC Robin says Chris Wood looks too crickety. <laughs> these people are these people are very very pedantic about this sort of thing. Um, is that fair? I don't think so. I don't think no. I don't think Chris Wood looks particularly crickety. I mean, he's, he's quite crickety. He's tall. He's got cricketer's name for a start. Yeah, no, that that is absolutely right. He's got a very. He has Fast got a Chris more tweet yeah, more t twenty. A... I'd say. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. There was an oddly high number of shouts for Michael Keane, Nick. Uh, so many I can't even list them by name. This, this, what's wrong with Michael Keane? Just looks like a perfectly serviceable centre half to me. Yeah, I think Michael Keane looks like a footballer enough. Yeah, this is weird. Uh, Harry Maguire. I don't think looks particularly like a footballer. There was there was a a, someone described him as looking like that bloke you know at university who only wears hoodie and shorts. Never mind, regardless of what time of year it is, and flip flops, and like it gets like the two for ten pound meal deal and just eats them both himself, but somehow (laughs) still retains a sort of vaguely (laughs) athletic. I've also heard um, someone say he looks a bit like a. a sort of police officer in training a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in yeah. training is the best bit. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so, so we've established our archetypal footballers who don't look like footballers. Uh, Robin, you're, go- you're going with um, Oxford favourite Herbie Kane. Nick, who would, who would you say is, is the archetype for this? I feel like we need to go more towards the lumbering end of the spectrum here. Yeah, well, the, the one that, that uh, I started out from the position, and this isn't a current kind of thing. Please be the same one as me. Uh, well, uh, well, I started out from any footballer with a moustache. Okay. It just doesn't seem right to me. And the one that I fixated on was Mickey Quinn. Okay, well, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, yeah. famously. I, I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure. <laughs> just famously, I'm going to say that. That's it. <laughs> well, again, perhaps not the uh, classic athlete's physique. Um, and also, uh, I think I must have mentioned this on this podcast before, but he once famously claimed he could beat anyone over three yards. Mm. <laughs> how would one do that? How, how would you set that up? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Just, yes, yeah. It's all about leaning forward and letting gravity do its work, I guess, for the first three yards. Um, 
the person I always had in mind for this, especially because he played centre-half and up front and both sported a mullet and then later a physique that had no, nothing to do with top-level Premier League football, and that's Ian Marshall, once of Leicester, Oldham, Bolton. Um, an astonishingly built man. <laughs> and yet, if you look at any of his YouTube highlights, deft touches, spectacular finishes. I think the the, the difference between between what he looks like and what he was capable of, I think he's unparalleled in relatively modern football. Um, so if we were if we were going to do an eleven, he would be right at the at the spearhead of my attack. But as I said, I just feel like it's too harsh to put this eleven together. I feel like we'd have eleven professional footballers, past or present, on our case for the rest of our days. So let's not do it. But the sentiment remains. Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Okay, welcome back to Mesut Holland Dicks. We've got match of the day's Robin Cowan showing her loves and hates of football with us. We've done the easy bit, the loves. We've done stadium announcers pronouncing players' names wrong. We've got fans clapping at weird times. Brilliant. And we have footballers that don't look like footballers. Now let's do the fun part, please, Robin. Your first hatred of football, please. Again, hatred's a strong word. I know everyone says this on this podcast, yep. but slightly annoying is everyone's obsession with the match of the day running order. <laughs> and I probably I would say this because um, yeah. very unlikely to lead it, you know, my uh, my fledgling <laughs> match of the day career. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's become something just too big, too big. And I actually think the BBC and, and Gary Lineker have sort of exacerbated it by him putting out these little videos on Twitter. And again, I, I don't know if it's if that's come from him or if they've the higher-ups have said, you must do this. But it's like a two-minute video of him justifying why <laughs> they've put each match in this order. And I just think, well, as I said to you before, like in, in the modern day, Jonathan Pierce, the modern game with iPlayer... <laughs> It doesn't matter, does it? I think may- maybe in the older days where, you know, you, it was difficult to sort of tape it and watch it back, or, you know, it was a bit more effort, wasn't it? Then maybe, yes, you'd have a, a, a point. You'd be upset if you had to, you know, stay up till the next day to watch your team. But I just think, does it matter? You'll, you'll be able to watch it in some way or another <laughs> at some point. Absolutely right. OK, well, OK, well, where do we start with this? Nick... I feel like I quite, I quite like the cultural significance it's gained for itself. I mean, I, I appreciate the Lineker having to come out beforehand <laughs> and explain it quite cheerfully, as if he's kind of owned the discourse maybe a little bit. But the cultural significance of being last on match of the day, I feel like it's 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 a welcome entry into into the football lexicon. I think because it's it, it's a it's a very very vivid idea of how a particular football game is going at the top level. Yeah, and and it's become a like a descriptor hasn't it well you know mm. this game is it's it's nil nil between you know burnley and whoever and it's, mm. you know it's, let's face it it's burnley <laughs> yeah nil nil between burnley and norwich or whatever and someone says at some point well this is going to be last last on match of the day isn't it it's it's a, a a shorthand for this game has been awful have we ever actually established what the vital components are of this robin because i feel like you could scan any list of Premier League scores slash results on any given Saturday and know instantly, instantly which one in your brain is going to be last on match of the day. So what are we talking about here? What I mean, I think we're going to get into specific teams here, but fundamentally what what, what has to happen? Does it have to be nil-nil? You kind of start with the so-called bigger teams or if no. um, the, a bigger team is sort of in trouble. So like a Manchester United being beaten, you know, something like that. And I do think, I do believe, I think, unless it's like a three-all, draws usually come last. So actually the, the sort of, that, that bit I do like is that the hierarchy, even if it is, uh, if it's Liverpool, Man United, but it's nil-nil, they do put that last, um, which, mm. which is good. I don't know if they do uh, take into account whether it's been shown on telly or not. Probably not. I'm not, I'm not sure about that because I guess they assume... I feel like it must play a part. Yeah, I, I don't know. Do. Because I think actually I I make this mistake that a lot of people don't buy all the subscription channels. <laughs> yeah, everyone yeah, I, everyone true. I know does, but that's just my mm. little bubble. So I think it's yeah. Mm. I, I'm not sure if that comes into it. I, Nick, I feel like they should, to an extent, remove all qualitative considerations out of this. And and I feel like the the Saturday lunchtime kickoff should be first on match of the day. That should be it because that was back when it was you know the sun was out. And we all had hopes and dreams for the weekend. That feels to me like the natural things to do. And also, you know, it would remove all the debate. It just says that was the first game of the weekend. That's the first game we're going to show. And then this manufactured controversy, if indeed it does exist, wouldn't wouldn't have to exist. There you are, solved it. Uh, I, I quite like that actually because now that now that you mention it, I do. 
if particularly in the winter, if they show a game in the dark first and then later on they go to something in brilliant sunshine, you kind yeah. of you do have to you do have to mentally readjust. The 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 proper the, the, I suppose the the, the fly in your um, solution ointment here is yep. the, the the Friday night game because ah. Friday night games might as well not exist to match the day that <laughs> they they had sorry they happened far too long ago so if you're going to do it chronologically then you would always have to have Friday night games they get first. shown on Football Focus the next week yeah exactly oh was Just oh Jesus Arsenal yeah. Arsenal uh, why didn't Arsenal yeah. play this weekend they they yeah. did oh all right they beat Southampton two one on Friday night why. I, I hope, I really do hope this is the first time anyone's ever questioned the continuity or match of the day. <laughs> <laughs> this is fantastic. But, okay, so, Robin, we've established that being last on match of the day is not an ideal situation to be in. It, it might not be a slight upon your team specifically, but it meant that your game that you were involved in was shit. But, <laughs> conversely, do we think that it's such a big deal to be first on match of the day? Because in my head, do you want to be first? Save it, if anything. If it, if it was a game you really want to watch, it was a, a great victory, and you really want to really want to relish and revel in the highlights. Maybe second or third. G- get a couple of games into warm up first. Yeah. What's the big deal about being first? No, that's a very good point. A little palate cleanser of uh, of someone else. Mm. But also, I mean, if if you are a, it's obviously great when you see you know like Palace beating City, and you know, but that's so rare. Usually, if you're a fan of a team lower in the table. You're on first because you've been absolutely battered. <laughs> so it's not. Sometimes it's not such a big thing, not a, such a great true. thing to hold up. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, Nick, I physically have a problem with the final game of match of the day because up to the age of about, I'm going to say, eleven, I just, I, I just couldn't stay awake long enough to watch it, and then. From the age of about thirty-six onwards, I now no no longer have the ability to stay awake and watch it. So uh, I, there's a whole slew of like a whole strata of, of Premier League action that I've just missed out on because I'm never going to go back and watch it. So I feel bad. I feel bad. No, absolutely not. Few, I, I quite rarely watch it as live, but I, I did a few weeks ago, and it was very kind of disorienting. It was, it was like, do, hang on, I have to I have to stay up for this. Oh my. God, this is awful. I know it's an insult. How dare they make me stay up so late? I'm not going to watch the. I'm not going to watch the Sunday morning one either. <laughs> Feels wrong. No, R- Robin. I, I wanted to. Uh, uh, do you? Is this something that kind of plays on your mind whilst you're commentating? Do you, if if you are if it's like half an an hour in or whatever, and it's nil nil, are you thinking oh, this is going to be last last on match of the day? I could just jib this off, and no one's gonna, no one's <laughs> going to care. Or if it's like if if you're commentating on a game, say you know Burnley Norwich or something like that, and you think this has got last so much of the day written all over it, but there were like three goals in the first fifteen minutes or something, do you then think, well, this is going to get moved up the running order a little bit? I best kind of up my game a little bit here. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Wow. Yeah. This is great. You kind of almost wake up, go, oh shit, oh actually, no, there's something happening. <laughs> they might actually show this. Yeah. Uh, no, that it for. Shamefully, yes, it really does. You you kind of think because you, you're sent sort of a, a sort of skeleton one. They they try and guess before the the weekend, and you, you can you can kind of almost visualise it going up or down. You think, oh, that that first half wasn't great. That's probably been moved down a bit. So yeah, no, uh, unfortunately, yes, it does. Because uh, oh, this is thing, it's such it's such a thing as you say, a cultural thing that even though it, I really dislike it, it does it has kind of seeped into my consciousness too much. <laughs> I feel like we've mapped out your psychological footballing weekend now. <laughs> on the way to the game, you're worried about anything that was said on football cliches. Yes. During the game, you're worried about where you're going to be in the running order for match of the day. And then on the way home, I assume you're worried about appearing on football cliches on, on Tuesday morning. Yeah, it's just, so, yeah, it's just a bloody fantastic. nightmare the whole, Living the whole day. Living in your head, rent free, Robin Cowan. <laughs> oh, look at that! That is wonderful! Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Robin, you've selected this next thing as your second hatred of football. What's the thinking there? <laughs> oh, you've just, yeah, you've just made me just flash back to all the times I've had to do this. Pre-match interviews, I just never had to perform something so pointless. <laughs> it's so pointless. <laughs> I'm so glad you're saying this. <laughs> this is going to get you sacked. It might do, yeah. But I've told everyone, everyone knows I think this. <laughs> I basically say it every time I have Fine. to do it. So if it's it, it depends who's obviously hosting the uh, the football game, but when it, when it's a sort of BBC production as the commentator, you have to go down and you have to do pre-match interviews with the manager and a player, and you're allowed three questions, um, and yeah, 
it's it never really deviates from how's the mood in the camp. Yeah. <laughs> um, if it's a manager, talk us through the changes. <laughs> and what are you expecting from a team insert team here? It's the derision in your voice. <laughs> but it's just when you got to talk us through the changes. Yeah. Unless, unless sort of you know, Conte obviously threatened to resign. You know, before Angela, <laughs> are, you, are you okay? You're all right now. Yeah. All right. <laughs> then, then it's just honestly, it's the most pointless exercise. I don't know who. For us, it's kind of for the world feed. I don't know who on earth would play it. Oh, okay. I was wondering where they went and what they were for. Apparently, that's where they go. Unless it's you know, obviously, if it's like a BT live game, we all see it. But yeah, I, honestly, I'd love to know who actually plays that. I think I, I did one when Nuno was Wolves manager. It, I think it came in in under 45 seconds uh, yeah yeah he's usually a running theme for this mm. but this has made me think nick the world feed gets so much stuff that we don't get they get pre-match interviews they get the little videos at halftime that we don't get to see they get random games from 2011 and it always seems to be stoked we miss out on so much on the we're not getting the bloody world feed give us the world feed we're in the world give us the world feed <laughs> I know you can. Well, I mean, you can. Uh, I've been told you can buy little boxes of so, so plugins oh, in the back of your TV that can get these things. But yeah, but I mean, the the as you um, kind of open this with, the, I like the the little questions that are ciphers for something else completely. So as you said, what's the thinking there, or what's the thinking behind that? Is could well be, uh, or, or is often a cipher for. Have you lost your fucking mind? Ralph, you're playing Paul Pogba at left back. What's the thinking there? I'm fascinated by what's the thinking there. I mean, I appreciate it it serves a very um, straightforward function. Um, Team news is clearly the biggest um, thing to talk about before a game, Robin. But um, I, I just love the way that it's phrased. I mean, because as Nick said, I mean, it, it sometimes is kind of this kind of veiled, um, you don't know what you're doing accusation, but it's always seems to be delivered in exactly the same way. What's the thinking there? What's the thinking there? It does feel very What's insulting, doesn't it? <laughs> it uh, managers must get sick of hearing it. I mean, we've already established that you hate saying it. So what do you think managers feel? Well, they, they come in very kind of well let's just get this over with yeah <laughs> and, you don't know, want to tell you no it's to say that they're there for like a minute 90 seconds and then the, uh, a very quick turn of pace to leave every every time it's honestly no i don't think anyone enjoys doing it what about you kind of expanding your repertoire have you have you ever thought about going for the is this a must win or just a must not lose <laughs> Jürgen? what when you're kind of in training for this not that I had any training. That's ridiculous. Like Top Gun. Yeah. <laughs> kind of almost almost less than one is not to ask or questions because then oh, because really? then you, you can get like a well, like a new no, um, it's the second one, whatever you said. <laughs> oh, that, wow, it. okay. So that's the thing. What's the thinking behind that's very good because that, that sort of allows them to forces them almost to elaborate a little bit. The sort of yes no ones with certain managers you can be in a bit of trouble. Oh, okay, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, especially you've got to be clever with this sort of thing. Um, we asked our listeners what they thought the mandatory pre-match interview questions should be. Um, in fact, I only picked one because this is my favourite. This is from David Heen, Robin. He says, uh, ask the manager what they make of the job that the opposition manager is doing at opposition club. <laughs> Always... <laughs> Because you're never gonna get, you're never gonna get. Oh, it's a bit overrated, to be honest. No, I'd love that. A good squad. I think that's the thing. I'd absolutely love it. He hasn't changed anything. Yeah, no, I think no. He's really, really uninspiring. You know, <laughs> I, it's going to be easy today because they always say it's going to be a tough game, don't they? Really easy. Yeah, not expect. You know, expecting a win. Easy, absolutely easy. This lot. What a day How that will be, though, if he goes. The, the guy's a fucking chancer, and all his players hate him. <laughs> Sensational. He'll be out of a job next week. You're getting sacked in the morning. Okay, so you've already jeopardised your future employment by decrying the match of the day running order and the whole concept of talking to managers before a game, no matter how interesting they might have to say to us. Tell us about your, your the third nail in your career coffin, please. Um, having to apologise for swearing during a game. <laughs> We're always told to do this, you know, and I understand why, you know, it's a little uh, caveat there. But I'd love to say once, you know... Oh, apologies if you picked up any swearing there, but what do you fucking expect? Come on, <laughs> it's a football game. <laughs> and, Could do it a match of the day, it's beyond 9pm, surely. <laughs> exactly, yeah, most most of the time it is sort of post-warship, but ultimately it just makes you, it makes you feel like a square. <laughs> <You know? 
<laughs> I mean, maybe on the third or fourth time you have to do it. Yeah. Just feel like, there should be a blanket one at the start. Is that fair to say? Just that that would be Ofcom friendly, surely. I love that disclaimer. You may hear some swearing. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not going to apologise for it again. You know. <laughs> exactly. Just like this report contains flashing images. Yeah. This game you're about to watch is almost certainly going to contain possibly some partial semi-audible swearing. <laughs> yeah. that, that should be it. Surely that should be enough, Nick. For yeah. The authorities. Yeah, I mean, so you are you're you're instructed to to do this if you, you know a, a rude word is is audible. But what are the consequences of of that? Say not 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 for you, but if you don't apologise for. Do, do, I mean, do the BBC get letters? What 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 happens? Do, do, does Ofcom get involved? Do you know? What? I'm not absolutely sure because uh, yeah. you, ba- you basically hear a voice in your ear saying, oh, you better better apologise for that." Well, <laughs> Okay, and and yeah, I just no, I'm not sure. I guess it, well, the, the BBC gets complaints about literally everything, and they've yeah, you know. So, so. so I think if anyone's ever seen the list of things <laughs> that they have to log from yeah. viewers, then I would say that swearing in a football game would probably be comfortably mid-table in terms of its priorities, at least given what I've seen. I'm I'm, I'm developing some sort of I'm trying to find a solution to this because it, it seems to be a creeping issue for everyone concerned. Listeners and viewers seem to think it's weird. Commentators increasingly are saying, oh, "I'm fed up with doing this. This is nonsense." So let's try and find a solution to this, a framework, if we could, Robin, because I want us to relax about swearing most of the time. I would say to you, if it's sung, it should be allowed. If it's shouted, that's clearly abuse or, you know, it's 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 just too, it's too close to the bone. But if it's sung tunefully, it should be allowed. Shouldn't have to apologise for it. Oh, yeah. No, I don't. I don't think. Have you ever heard of a commentator apologising for the referee's a wanker? You know, coming through. I don't think. Have you heard that? I think so. Yeah, I think I've heard okay. that. Must have done. Yeah. I don't think that you occasionally get like Sky TV is shit or so all along <laughs> those lines. Oh yeah. For, yeah, it, yeah. Particularly if it's a, a, a game that has, the kickoff has been moved to an inconvenient time, and if they if they apologise for that, it would just draw attention to it. But I, I, I'm sure. I'm pretty sure I have heard someone apologise for rude words in a chant. Okay, so okay, so singing is obviously a grey area. So maybe we need to um, add a, a kind of different layer to this, Robin. Maybe it's the number of people involved in shouting it. <laughs> if it's, say, over, I don't know, 500, and it becomes more of a kind of chorus, a choir effect, then that should be all right. Because it's like, it's, you know, it's a blanket sentiment rather than just one person going you know rogue. Yeah. No, I can't <laughs> find a solution so here. Are we, are we back to sort of, yeah... Sort of the the days of coronavirus restrictions say it's five hundred plus. Then yeah. you're you're right. You're okay. Exactly right. Yeah, I love exactly the uh, right. it, they say Sky Sports is shit. Do they apologise for the swearing? Or we're not shit. You know. <laughs> 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 really good forecaster. Actually, we've had the rights of the Premier League for quite a long time. I think you're fine. So uh... many respects, we've revolutionised the way that the game and, and the money that Sky has brought in. Is, uh, oh, sorry. Hang on. Hang on. We're getting side sidetracked. <laughs> Fantastic, fantastic. Um, but I, yeah, I feel like there's no um, there's no easy solution for this, but maybe maybe society will come around to this. But yeah, um, I hope you've still got a job after all this, Robin. Oh, I'm not sure what to do if not. But you know, I've been on match the day, so it's all good, all good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Done it. Your dad's happy. That's yes. the main thing. You got that law degree? Yes, I do. I do. I really don't want to have handy. to go back and do that, though. There was a reason I stop doing that <laughs> no exactly yeah yeah i mean yeah we've danced around it but let's say you're very lucky to do this job so stop moaning about it yeah yeah, yeah totally exactly right um nick i hope you're going to spend uh, uh the next few weeks of your life um analyzing the crossfield passes to applause gained ratio yeah um, because trust me you won't be able to stop obsessing about it after that <laughs> I'll, I'll draw up some charts good glad to hear it thank you robin once again thanks adam thank you to you nick thank you And we'll see everybody next week. Cheerio. The Athletic.